Wow. Look at all of you. I can actually see you now. This is fantastic. Just for those of you who are wondering what the heck is going on right now, um, I have to share this before we get started. Probably for about a month or so now. Um, it's certainly now that I've been preaching quite a bit more often here at First Parish. It, it occurs to me that it, that is a, a, a lovely, lovely pulpit. It's, it, I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. It really is. It's, it's an incredible experience being up there um, with all of you. But the, the, the problem for me and the difficulty was that I didn't really feel like I was with you up there. Um, I felt like I was looking down on you and not able to really have a conversation with you because sermons for me are, are, are conversations in many ways. And so I was thinking to myself, you know what? I, I like moving around, as you can probably tell, and I'd be afraid that I would fall off of that if I moved around too much. <laughs> so, so I didn't want to do that, and you probably noticed I didn't move very much at all, um, but I like to. And, it, you know, I, I like being down here with... with with all of you. So I think, so we're gonna try this out this week. Does this feel okay, having me down here? Moving around a little bit? Okay, good, 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 good. So we're gonna try this, this this week and see how it feels for all of us and, and perhaps you will see me at this lovely lectern again um, on the floor. So I, I was thinking this was gonna be a wonderful experience but I don't know how people are going to feel about it Maybe I won't do it, maybe I will. And no less than three people the last time I preached came up to me separately and said, you know, you really don't look comfortable up there. <laughs> like, I really think you'd be, wouldn't you be more comfortable down on the floor? Like, three people. And I thought, well, okay, I guess that answers the question. <laughs> so, here I am. And here we are. I'm also going to do something else rather strange today. Because, you know, clearly I'm in the mood for that today. I am going to read from the Bible today. Woo! Yeah, right. Ooh, I heard someone like, ooh. <laughs> I, heard, I heard that. <laughs> um, this is, what I'm going to open with this morning is from... Um, the book of Ezekiel, which is one of the books of the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, or what many folks affectionately call the Old Testament. Um, it's chapter 37, verses 1 until probably about 9. Uh, 10. <laughs> well, you know, we'll see how it goes. And, and just so you know, I'm reading from what's called the Inclusive Bible, um, which took many, many years to complete, um, and it was an, an effort to um, get back to the more original text as best as possible um, in the Hebrew. So, so it may sound a little bit different, and that's why. The hand of Yahweh was upon me, and this is Ezekiel talking, and it carried me away by the Spirit of Yahweh and set me down in a valley a valley full of bones. God made me walk up and down among them, and I saw that there was a vast 
number of bones lying there in the valley, and they were very, very dry. God asked me, can, can these bones live? I answered, only you know that, sovereign Yahweh. And then God said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of Yahweh. Yahweh says to these bones, I am going to breathe life into you. I will fasten sinews on you, clothe you with flesh, cover you with skin, and give you breath. And you will live and you will know. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and all the bones started to come together, bone to matching bone. As I watched, sinews appeared on them, flesh clothed them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them yet. Then God said to me, prophesy to the wind. Prophesy and say to it, come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe and breathe on these bodies that they may live. I prophesied as I was commanded and breath came into them. They came alive and stood up on their feet, a vast multitude. I was in my 20s when I read that passage for the first time. When I encountered it, I knew nothing at all of the Bible or the prophets. I probably heard about Jeremiah, but that was from a song that didn't have anything to do with anything. <laughs> you know, I just didn't know. It wasn't, my, it wasn't my experience. I didn't have particular feelings about Christianity or any of the people who identified as followers of Jesus. While I know that this is not the case for many of us and of the peoples of the world, I had never been forced or expected to buy into any particular belief or engage in any particular religious practice that had no real meaning for me. I remember it feeling pretty random that I had a Bible in my hand. <laughs> I probably even chuckled about it a little bit. But there I was, sitting in the pew of a church on my first Sunday there. And, you know, so I would look like I belonged. I picked up the book that happened to be in front of me and opened it to the place that had been marked I began to read. That was the passage I read. I recall feeling this 
rush of, of heat in my face. And for those of you who, who don't know, I'm a bit of a furnace anyway, right? So I'm already generally pretty warm and, and you know, sweaty and things, but I just I felt flush, right, in my face. And my hands started to shake and I began to cry. And I looked immediately around me because, you know, I'm in church for the first time. I don't know how all this goes. I don't know what I'm supposed to do or not do. And I thought, you know, some people are going to think I'm a little bit... People are going to think something's wrong with me that I'm sitting here being so affected like this because, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things in church, apparently. I remember thinking, is this how this is supposed to go? Because if it is, this is way too out of control for me. <laughs> it's way too out of control. I don't, I don't know that I want to have anything to do with too much of this because I just want to come and experience this and not, you know, not be too affected. <laughs> I, I was young, I didn't know. <laughs> Inexperienced, it didn't have anything to do with age. As out of control as the whole thing felt, and, you know, as much as I was a little bit confused and didn't really know what was happening, I, I, stuck, I stuck around that morning. And while I was fascinated by all the bells and whistles of the experience of worship, um, at an MCC, a Metropolitan Community Church, um, experience, which felt very Roman Catholic in a lot of ways. MCC New York is very high church in a way that a lot of other MCC churches are not. But, you know, while I was fascinated by all of that, the words of the passage never left me. Throughout the whole service, I kept replaying them in my head over and over again. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these bodies so that they may live again. At the time, there were a few things that I knew. First, it was around 2001, 2000, um, and while I had left my native Georgia five years before, I was really becoming aware in that period of just how cut off I had been from family and community members who I'd held most dear. My focus had been in that, five, that four or five year period on, you know, going to school and, you know, the, you know the drill. For those of us who have had that experience of being in grad school, I was just trying to get out of grad school and I was just trying to find a good job and live in a good place, you know, all that stuff. I hadn't really focused on what was really going on in my experience, but I felt very, very cut off. The second thing that was really happening for me was that something really powerful and unique was happening in my life that, that felt like a cosmic shift in my understanding of the person I was becoming. And that was scary. Like, really scary. Like, it's serious kind of scary. And I didn't know what to do with that. But it was very much a part of my experience and existence, and I carried it around all the time, everywhere. And third, I had also been carrying around a kind of strange emptiness that I couldn't explain, but I knew I needed to do something about. And so the person, me, who often showed up for work and play and now at church was, you know, who was ordinarily really animated on the outside, there wasn't a whole lot of substance that I could recognize on the inside. It's probably not that hard to imagine why a passage like that resonated with me in that particular moment. 
it wasn't until later, I mean, you know, this was 2000, 2001, and over three years of going to this church and experiencing church life really for the first time, um, you know, participating in worship, singing in the choir, doing all the things that, that we do, I discerned a call to ministry, I applied for and got into seminary, and, you know, left my, my lawyer job, which was, okay, financially painful, but, but really, really good. <laughs> Probably the best, one of the best decisions I'd ever made. So it wasn't until I was in seminary that I learned quite a bit about Ezekiel's story and the context in which he lived. Um, the book of the prophet Ezekiel really revolves around the, the sort of central event in Jewish history when the southern kingdom of Judah, there were two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, um, where the southern kingdom of Judah was invaded and the city of Jerusalem and its temple were destroyed um, sometime uh, around the 580s. Uh, BCE or, or before the Common Era. And based on what we know, Ezekiel was probably someone like a priest who worked in the temple um, prior to its destruction. And because he was a part of the ruling classes, he was a priest. So he, along with many others, was taken prisoner um, and transplanted to Babylon. And if you if you read in the history, it, it, it will say things like the Babylonian exile. Um, this was the period in which Ezekiel lived. Now, these are folks, royal families, merchants, priests. These are folks who had quite a bit of wealth and power at their disposal before the destruction of Jerusalem. And they found themselves classless, defeated, and without much of the material and psychological and spiritual resources that, they had, that they'd had at their disposal up until that point. So Ezekiel's role was that of a messenger of really hard and horrible things to come. I, and I would encourage folks, just for the sake of experiencing the reading, to, to read that, the full chapter of Ezekiel. Um, but he talks about... and, and prophesies about really horrible things that are to come at first, and then he begins to prophesy about new leadership, new life, and new spirit that could be theirs if they would only hold on long enough to see it through. Their challenge was not only to survive in this new land, but also to lay the groundwork for their future without abandoning their past roots. Come, O breath. Come, O breath of the four winds. Breathe. Breathe into these bodies so that they may live again. See, it is this, through a spiritual rebuilding, that Ezekiel calls his people to in the later chapters of the book. And it's this spiritual, re spiritual rebuilding that offers something special for every season, really, and for all people. But, you know, folks tend to invoke this message, especially during this time in the Christian calendar leading up to Easter Sunday. 
How many of us have ever thought about or observed in any way the season of Lent? How many of us have? A few. Quite a few. Quite a few. For those of us who may not know as much about Lent, Lent is recognized by millions of Protestant Christians, Catholics, and and Eastern uh, Orthodox uh, believers all over the world, and comprises the 40 days before Easter Sunday, not including the Sundays. Many Christians have come to see Lent as a season to be reminded of their regret for not deepening their relationship with God and to prepare spiritually for the resurrection of Christ. Part of that preparation, which is the part that many of us probably know most about, is the Lenten fast, right? During which you give up something during that period. Well, let me just tell you that I was in church for a few years and going to seminary, and I didn't give Lent a first or second thought. It just didn't have any particular meaning to me. Um, This is, of course, until I got to Pennsylvania. (laughs) Pennsylvania was a really special place. Um, As some of you have probably heard, uh, when I was interning um, for MCC, I was an intern at Vision of Hope MCC, which was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in Amish country. And for a period, I was their intern, and then I served as their director of worship. And we called this season practice and preparation. It was a very, very big deal at Vision of Hope. And it was marked by folks having an opportunity to worship, to, during worship, each Sunday during Lent, to take a piece of paper. Folks would take a piece of paper and write on it something, or someone, honestly. I know folks probably put a couple of names on these pieces of paper. Um, something that they felt like kept them from living more fully into their truth. And anything, anything at all that got in the way of their ability to live more fully. And they would leave that piece of paper at the altar to be prayed over, and everyone on the pastoral staff would actually pray over them every week. Um, There was something, regardless of what you do or don't believe about prayer, um, regardless even of what you do or don't believe about this season or, or Easter or the resurrection, there was something really healing about acknowledging the things that blocked us from stepping into our deepest becoming. There's something about that that can be really, really meaningful and healing to people. And, you know, folks also did things like give up chocolate. Not, not you, Kate, don't worry. <laughs> if Kate is in here, don't worry. We'll, we'll make sure you get your chocolate <laughs> in April. Um, but folks would give up chocolate and smoking and even Facebook, which was cute. I thought that was cute. <laughs> it really did. I thought it was fantastic. I can't do it. <laughs> but, you know, folks would give up various things. But it wasn't really about depriving ourselves of the things that brought us joy. That really wasn't the purpose of Lent at Vision of Hope. The purpose was for us to make room, right? To make room in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits for all of the things that could bring us more peace, more hope, more joy. 
more love. And I'll admit, I, I put a few things on that altar too. The thing that I probably put on the altar more often and most was um, my fear of my call to ministry. I was frightened of it. I didn't think anyone would take me seriously. And so I didn't want to have anything. I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't step into it. And so I would write this down every year. I'm afraid. Now, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I'm called to do right now. <laughs> so I'm grateful, and I don't know whether or not putting those pieces of paper on the altar made any difference. But it mattered that I was thinking about it. I didn't put it there because, you know, I knew that this particular prayer would make any difference. I wanted to make a commitment, a commitment to myself and to my community that I would take steps toward becoming a person more deeply, to, more deeply connected to the divine within me and the divine around me. That's why I did that. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into this body so that I may live again. The whole trajectory of my life as a person of faith, from discovering MCC New York through music at an LGBT gospel choir, yeah, that, that's a different sermon. You can read that another time. Um, opening up a Bible for the first time and reading this particular story about life rising from the ashes and being thrust into an immensely transformative uh, experience at Vision of Hope ultimately left me with a new understanding of what it means to die in order to live. You know, with all its honesty and harshness, Ezekiel's vision challenges us to see that the problem is not death, but the fear of it. The fear of letting go of the things that we've grown comfortable with, but that ultimately don't bring us any closer to being our true selves. And the solution is as near to us as our very own breathing. Because as the divine exists within each of us, so too can we say that God is breathing life into us. There are special places inside each of us that represents the deepest truths of our souls. They are precious and sometimes invisible to the naked eye. And it is often the case that those places go unnoticed, aren't cared for, and essentially left for dead. But when we choose to make a commitment, avail ourselves of every source of love, compassion, and grace at our disposal, and take the time to seek out those places, even if only for a season, the pieces of ourselves that matter most don't have to be lost. Poet and philosopher Mark Nepo once wrote, it takes years for seeds to grow into trees, and the seasons shape and scar each tree into place. You could say that the journey of being a spirit on earth is the human equivalent, and the years of experience shape and scar each of us into place. You could say that this is the long road to freedom, inner freedom. It is our invitation to grow 
And this invitation comes alive in us when we dare to live the days before us, when we dare to listen to the wind singing in our veins. We carry the love and wisdom like seeds, and the days sprout us. And the sprouting, that's the poetry. It's the sprouting that's the road to freedom. We don't have to believe in or care about Lent or wait for this or any other season to come around in order to engage in this practice of finding those seeds and helping them grow. What's gone unnoticed or uncared for in your lives? What dry bones among us need mending? Think about it for just a moment. And when you think of one thing, the invitation this morning is to do something with that one thing. Offer it up into the silence. When you leave, maybe write it down someplace and keep it. Keep it someplace safe. And finally, refer back to it in some sort of consistent way, whatever that looks like for you. And when you're ready, begin to think, pray, sing, speak about how to become more deeply connected to the divine within you and around you. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into our bodies. Breathe into our minds. Breathe into our spirits that we may live again and again and again. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be.